Hi, and welcome back to Game Time Podcast with your hosts, I'm Alex Rubinson. And I'm Shai Dweck. What a way for the NFL season to end. For the second time in franchise history, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be crowned world champions. We are going to recap all the ins and outs of Super Bowl 55, what went right for Tampa, what went wrong for the Chiefs. So, Shy, let's get right into it because it's game time. time. So, Shy, obviously we'll talk about the glory that Tampa is feeling right now. Champa Bay, as they're being called, as you know, over this past sports year, they've been in three uh, world, world championships. Uh, they won the NHL championship. The Tampa Bay Lightning did. The Tampa Bay Rays were two wins away from a World Series championship. And now the Buccaneers are Super Bowl champions. So before we get into kind of their triumphant win, let's talk about the other side, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, just kind of the defeated feel that really started, I felt like, in the fir- or pretty early in the first quarter. But I think the score should have been closer than it was, and you really got to look at three key drops. I believe it was one. It was I think their first scoring drive that ended up leading ultimate resulting in a field goal. Tyree Tyree Hill let a ball go right through his hands, hit him in the face mask. Would have been a touchdown. That's seven right there. And, you know, they end up kicking a field goal, so they get three. You know, they, they do get three back, but that's four points left off the board. And you just can't do that against a Tom Brady-led team. Yeah, I agree. There were missed opportunities for Kansas City. But really, you know, just by the energy and the feel, it just felt like Tampa Bay, you know, wanted it more. And I know that's kind of like the cliche thing, right? You know, who's playing with more passion, more energy. But I felt that. It really just felt like the momentum had been taken away from Kansas City, like almost from the get-go in that first quarter, as you mentioned, and that, you know, they didn't really have the will to the, the fight, I guess, to come back in it, you know, like they like we saw them do when they were triumphant beating the San Francisco 49ers, you know, down 10 in that fourth quarter. So that's something that struck me, um, but I agree, totally miss opportunities, you know, Patrick Mahomes, even with that hobbled uh turf toe who clearly you know looked not like himself we were just talking about it but uh made some terrific plays just unfortunately uh for him guys could not uh come up with the ball when they needed to yeah i picked the chiefs to win but you're talking about the energy you know we had we had kind of our pre-super bowl podcast a week before the Super Bowl, and at that point, I you know, I thought the Chiefs would win. I picked the Chiefs, and I ended up sticking with that pick throughout the week. But it felt like each and every day, there just was this sense, this atmosphere of energy that just kept creeping to Tampa's side. So by the time we got to the Super Bowl, I was really starting to have kind of almost a change of heart. Like, Tampa seems to have a lot going for them. Even though they didn't come off a dominating performance over Green Bay, there was just a sense of confidence. And that's why you bring in a guy like Tom Brady. This team was incredibly talented before Brady. Brady, obviously, yes, he he upgraded the most valuable position off sports. But I feel like his true value came in as a winner. 
as someone who he's been there, he's done that, he's been through it all. He know he's no he knows what it takes to win the ultimate game and to go on these deep playoff runs. And I think kind of during that week leading up to the Super Bowl, I think we started to feel that. And whether it was Brady texting teammates before the game leading up throughout that week, you know, we will win. When, you know, they didn't score on their first possession, there just seemed to be this calmness on Tampa's side, but still this energy, you know, calm, almost like a calm energy where, you know, obviously, you know, they're not anxious, but they're ready to play. They're excited, they're hyped up, but it's controlled, almost a controlled emotion, which I think you can really credit to Tom Brady and his experience and relaying that type of message to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So we talked about that first miss opportunity. Dropped by Tyreek Hill, perfectly thrown ball, hits him right in the hands, and ultimately the face mask. But I think what really started to turn the tide in this game was the interception by Tyron Matthew that got called back because of the holding call. And, you know, we didn't we didn't have a rooting interest. I was just rooting for a great game. Shy bet you were the same way. I was actually rooting, you know, a you, bit for you, the Chiefs. You don't love Tom Brady. I'll, I'll say that. You, when you get a chance to root against Brady, uh, your fandom does come out in full force, almost like when you're rooting for the Steelers. So Yeah. But I was... I will say that that holding call, and again, I wasn't rooting one way or another, that holding call seemed bogus to me. I, there's contact. Newsflash, football's a contact sport. You know, I don't care if you're within one yard of the line of scrimmage or 50 yards of the line of scrimmage, there's going to be contact. You know, there's going to be hand fighting. It's just part of the game. And look, did the defender have hands on Evans? Yes. Is that a penalty? Absolutely not. In my mind, if you're going to call that a penalty, there's good, there should be a penalty on every play. That, that's just how the game of football is played. I actually thought it was great technique on Evans. I thought it was played very well. Uh, uh, played, the, uh, played Evans perfectly off the line of scrimmage and throughout his route. That, that should have been an interception. Chiefs should have gotten the ball. Not in great field position, but Chiefs should have gotten the ball. That, you know, that obviously extends the drive. Then, when the Bucks were lining up for a field goal, and this isn't on, this is something you can control. And this is just, you know, I, I don't want to put blame on Andy Reid for this, but this just seems like bad coaching and bad situational awareness. You lined up offsides on a field goal attempt. What, like, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Lining up size on a field goal attempt, I feel like you almost have to make an effort to do that. Yeah, and it was, you know, they had some weird formation where they had, like, you know, more defensive backs, I think, you know, on the perimeter um, instead of, you know, more, I think they were going with, like, a, a lighter personnel to maybe try to block, like, I don't know, something a little more unorthodox. And clearly... This, these players did not know where to line up, you know, uh, so. No, I feel like for a defense, knowing where the line of scrimmage is is football 101. Am, am I crazy for thinking that? No, you're not. And the thing is, I'm not even sure that some of those players, you know, were defensive players. Because, you know, I remember, you know, there were, it, there were some unique personnel out there. And, 
the commentators of the game were talking about it, and I and I and I, I hadn't you know thought about it before until I until they had said, but I think that may have contributed to that, and I'm not sure that they those were defensive players. Um, so I'm not I'm not really sure. I don't I don't care what position they play. I don't care what unit they play on. The Super Bowl, biggest game of your life, and it's a field goal. Worst comes to worst, they get three points. But you line up off sides, and the next play, Brady throws a touchdown to Gronk. That drive should have had zero points, where Tyron Matthew gets the interception. And the Chiefs, the Chiefs only down, I believe, 7-3 at that point. Chiefs get the ball. Maybe there's some momentum swing. Maybe Mahomes takes his team down, scores, grabs a possible lead. But even in a, even if the penalty happens, you line up offside on a field goal attempt. That is unacceptable at any level. I don't care if you're playing peewee football or the NFL or anything in between. The first thing I feel like you learn is where to line up. You know, this isn't some... It's not like they did an illegal formation when they were trying to get too cute. They just lined up offsides. Do the Chiefs like? Do the Chiefs just not know how to line up on onsides when they're facing Brady? Does Brady have like this mystical like power or like image of when they when he's on the opposing team, the Chiefs line up offsides? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I think I agree. That's inexcusable, and I feel like from a coaching perspective. If those guys or whoever it was that that were offsides, I think it's one on the players. You got to have that awareness, and two, you have to put your players in the best situation. If they're not prepared to do one of the most rudimentary things in the game of football, there's a problem. And I'm just gonna leave it at that. Yeah. So that that those were two big mishaps that happened to the Chiefs. One was something they couldn't control, and you know we can talk about the refs all day long. But in the game, I feel like we always talk about control what you can control. You know, there's obviously the now famous quote of Bill Belichick and his motto of do your job. You know, can control what you can control, do your part, do your job. And obviously, the penalty, it seemed like it was clean to me. There's nothing you can do about it, though. You can't control the refs. Yeah, but you, can control, you, you can control lining up on size. And that is 100% on the Chiefs. And I feel like those... That sequence of the penalty negating the interception and then lining up offsides on a field goal attempt, which I'll next play touchdown, that really, I don't want to say put the Chiefs to bed, but that kind of, in my mind, put the Chiefs in a bit of a panic mode, and I feel like it kind of just snowballed from there. Yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty good assessment of it. I didn't think I got a chance to tell you what my thoughts on that, on that holding call, but... Um... Again, just for the record, I was rooting for Kansas City, but I had picked the Bucks, you know, to win uh, last week or whenever we recorded um, our Super Bowl preview podcast. So, you know, I, I wouldn't have been super upset if I had been right because I, I do like being right. But back to the, the call. Yeah, I, just because I feel like you're tooting your own horn here, I feel like the audience has to know. That when in the off season, even after Tom Brady signed, and even after we basically knew what this Bucks team would look like, you barely thought this was a playoff team. The only reason why you thought this may have been a playoff team is because the extra seed with the playoff expansion. You thought this was a fringe seven seed of a team. I thought so. Look, 
I'll give you credit, you picked Tampa Bay, but I think I also have to throw that out there uh, to make all things even. Okay. All right. I, 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 that, that's fair. That's fair. To counter you, I don't think either of us thought Tampa Bay would be in the Super Bowl, but... Uh, I thought there was a... I mean, I probably wouldn't have picked them, but I thought there was a, de- a solid chance. I definitely thought there was a solid chance. Whenever there's Tom Brady, there's always a solid chance. Uh, back to the whole thing. No chance. Even even after the Brady signing. Anyway. I didn't give it no chance. You saying that I gave the Tampa Bay Bucks no chance to be in the Super Bowl? I just thought they would be, you know, a wild card team. I'm not going to let you run all over me here, Alex. Fine. Okay, let's get back to the game. Let's get back to the game. I just want to say I agree with you that the holding call, very ticky-tack, not something that should be called. Go ahead. Especially when we've seen worse not called. Let them play. It's the big game, Super Bowl, in my mind, only called the blatant and obvious fouls, and that by far was not. So I believe it was 7-3 before the – second Brady to Gronk touchdown connection, and it should have been 7-3, or at worst, 10-3. Then, you know, it's things are, I don't want to say getting out of hand, but things are already starting to lean f- quite favorably into Tampa's direction. And we all know that Tom Brady is the one, usually the one coming back. You know, unless, un- the only reason why he's going to lose a lead is because he's facing Eli Manning. I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. So, you know I had to throw that out there, Chad. Yeah, yeah. No. I'm not going to give you a laugh. Was, but, um... It was all up to Mahomes. Can he respond? Obviously, he's in a very less than ideal situation with both his tackles out. There's also problems along the interior offensive line. But it's a big third down, right? It's a big third down. Kansas City's trying to just grasp some type of momentum. Big third down. Great play. Cross cross field throw to Kelsey, hits him square in the hands. Now, I know he's kind of tackled funny, but he dropped the ball before he was being brought to the ground. I mean, it hit him square in the hands, ball falls to the ground, and that was third down. So now you have to punt. That, it would have been a first down if he, if he caught it. He didn't have to gain any more yards. It was already beyond the first down marker. That was, obviously, it's not a touchdown like the previous drop by Tyreek Hill, but that's a huge play where... Tampa, already having so much momentum, gets the ball back pretty quickly. And just another miscue by this Chiefs offense that, you know, we can talk about the tackle play and the offensive line play we want, but Kelsey is usually, you know, old reliable, a guy who any anything in his direction, anything that he can get a hand on, he'll, he'll haul it in. And this is just one of the worst drops you'll see, not just from him, but for any guy of Kelsey's caliber and just eye-opening the type that that type of miscue by a guy uh, of Kelsey's caliber, and you could just tell. I think first the Hill drop, then the Kelsey drop. That something just was not right with this Chiefs offense. Yeah, there. I think there were missed opportunities all over the place. I think Patrick Mahomes, you know, wasn't in an ideal situation. But with that being said, and I want to shift things a little bit, you know, I, 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 I think I would pick Tampa Bay to win this game if Kansas City is completely healthy. And I'm talking about Patrick Mahomes 100% and the, and the both starting tackles are healthy as well. I'm still picking Tampa Bay. And the reason is 
the the Chiefs defense, and I have been saying this, they they had no answers. There was no answer. I had more confidence. Play, I'll say this. They played pretty well early on, and things kind of got – and then once the offense couldn't respond and the offense couldn't get moving and in a groove, it just made things that much tougher on the defense. I thought early on Chiefs defense did even a little more than hold their own, especially if, again, Kyra Matt, if that interception stands. I, I just thought that the after the first really couple of possessions that Tampa had, they just seemed to fall apart. And I think, you know, I just had much more faith in the Tampa Bay Bucks personnel to be able to, to even just slow down a perfectly healthy, the best offense in football than I did, you know, with, with Kansas City's defense. I just don't think they have the guys right now to compete with what Tom Brady had and th- those weapons in, in that stage. And I think, look, the Chiefs are always going to be you know, in a similar spot in the playoffs, AFC Championship, maybe in the Super Bowl. You know, they're going to be competitive in that area consistently. But the difference between winning those games, um, and, you know, sometimes without a great defense, a solid defense like they had, it will cut it. But when you're in these games, a really good or, or great defense, need you need, to, you need to have it. And I think they need to do some development there. Because if you if you can't, you know... I mean, if Tom, when you go up against a team with like the Bucks and Tom Brady that can go pound for pound with you offensively, you need to have a defense that you can rely on in January and February. And I've been saying this, they're a solid group, but they don't quite have the guys. Well, that's why I didn't like the Clyde Edwards-Elair pick in the first round. I thought that pick made no sense. And I, I said at the time, I said, why are you taking a running back? You have a much bigger need. You know, Fuller's gone. You need it. You could definitely use a corner. You could definitely even use a linebacker. You know, how, how, now, Legere, they got uh, Legereus Needham later on, and he seems like a steal. And I really like him and where he's headed. But he's a nice corner, too. Right? He's a nice corner, too. They need a guy who can match up against the best of the best. How good would Jalen Johnson look in that defense? who's tremendous for Chicago this past year. How good would he look in that defense? He was available. Bears took him in the second round. The Chiefs do, I totally agree, they need to upgrade that de- or the defense, especially uh, the secondary. And, and the so thing... If they're, if they're going to get in these type of shootouts, if they're going to get into shootouts, they're going to have to, they're going to have to cover. They're going to have to avoid giving up these big chunk plays. The, the secondary is a real concern moving forward. And, again, I like a guy like Legereus Need, but they don't have a guy who can match up against the Devontae Adams of the world or the Mike Evans of the world or even the Michael Thomases of the world. Yeah. They, need, I, that, they need that guy, and they don't have him. In addition to that, th- there's so much of their money is being dedicated to the offensive side of the ball that they don't really have the, the, the cap room, the, the resources financially, to go out and bring these veterans in. They're going to need to hit consistently in the draft, you know, and in the later rounds as well. If they want to, you know, keep that defense, you know, up to par to be in this, because they're always going to be in this situation. Anytime you have a guy like Patrick Mahomes, you're going to, and that, and those pieces around him, but the Andy Reid, you're going to be there. But the difference in the postseason is that defense. So I want to talk about Andy Reid now, and he's a Hall of Fame coach. I thought he's a Hall of Fame coach. Before he won the Super Bowl with the Chiefs, 
He's incredible. And I'm not... He He's one of the best of all time, truly. But I was surprised at just the lack of adjustments he'd made. I mean, we knew that Tampa wasn't going to let Tyreek Hill and Miko Harmon... They weren't going to let them consistently get beat by those speedsters and just other weapons that the Chiefs have. I feel like the Chiefs just never adjusted to that. I mean, Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill said, you know, that they were shocked by what Tampa played. You really thought they were going to match up one-on-one again? You really thought that they were going to be have the same defensive philosophy when you went for over 200 yards in one quarter? And then once you saw that, you didn't have a game plan to back that up, to change, not even at halftime. You couldn't try anything up. There was, what, one short, nice little slant to Tyreek Hill that gained some really good yardage in a first down. Other than that, how many times? Especially when you knew your top two tackles were going to get injured. You had guys reshuffling along the interior offensive line. You really did not have a game plan, a short passing game. And I know that's not always in the Chiefs' nature. I know their MO is taking shots downfield, letting Mahomes scramble. But I was shocked at the lack of adjustments that the Chiefs made to the Tampa defense that I don't think shocked too many people in terms of how they played it. They knew they weren't going to get beat deep. That was their game plan. I I knew they would do all they could to get beat deep. So I was stunned that they did not do a better job of getting the ball into guys like Hardman and Hill's hands quickly. Get the ball into their hands quickly and make that and make those guys and Kelsey and Demarcus Robinson make those guys uh, make moves in space. Get the ball in their hands in space and let them, you know, do their you know quickness and speed and because they're so great with the ball in their hands. Well, I'm going to push back a little bit against that, Alex. And I think that was a big part of their game plan going in. I just think that, one, Tampa Bay's zone coverage, which they were running their cover to a lot, two high safety sets, Bracketing Hill, they did, you know, those linebackers, Devin White and Levante David, who are mainly covering those underneath zones, which was where, you know, Kansas City was and trying to look, exploit. I agree. They're the best linebacker duo in the NFL. I really believe that. But I was surprised. I just, those, for me, just the lack of adjustments. I just did not see the Chiefs, you know, you know, we're talking about, yeah, almost like a cat and mouse game. I just did not see them counter with anything different, especially from the first half to the second half. And then what? First drive of the second half, you're actually able to run the ball, and then that's it? You don't run the ball anymore? Like, where, where was the running game? I, I and You had one good running drive. You had one good running drive in the second half. And that was about it. You didn't even attempt to run the ball. And I know Tampa has maybe the best run defense in the NFL. But at least try to run the ball. Tampa wasn't going to stack the box. Tampa knew they they might have to give up some rushing yards to, you know, sacrifice some rushing yards to, uh, you know, cover the deep ball. So, I don't know. I was very, I don't know if frustrated is the right word. Disappointed. I thought I thought the Chiefs could have done more to counter the Bucks' attack. This is what I would say. I think you know those linebackers did a great job covering up that zone. But in addition, it's not like they were get they were able to get the ball out quick. Like 
Mahomes was under pressure within two seconds, not even, of when he took the snap. It was in the amount of pressure he absorbed in such a short time was crazy that he could not even, because the coverage was so good underneath in that zone, that he really couldn't, wasn't able to find guys. And, you know, and at that point, what do you do? Like, that's what I would ask you. What do, how do you adjust? Like, I do think, no, I do think that, you know, Andy Reid and those guys, you're a paid NFL coach. This is what you do. This is your job. You have to find a way to adjust. But I'm also going to ask you, Alex, how do you adjust to that? I think wide receiver screens, uh, running back screens. I also think running running the ball a little more. That I think you know maybe I know it's not their mo. I know they don't run the ball a lot, but you know that that it's a perfect time to run the ball. That and we saw their one drive where I feel like they consistently ran the ball. They ran it pretty effectively. So I don't know. I just think it just seemed like they're. Even if, you know, they were trying a bunch of different things, I don't know. From my, my point of view, and I, I wasn't at the game, so it's t- it is tough to judge. But from my point of view, it seemed like they could have at least attempted to do more than what they did to uh, kind of counter the Bucks, the Bucks uh, defensive game plan. So, look, it's not going to change my view of Andy Reid. He's still a great coach, but I feel like there he left some – he left something to be desired with, how, you know, how he adjusted or lack thereof to what Todd Bowles threw out there. Yeah, I I think that's certainly true. You know, I I would say that Tampa did an excellent job tackling, wrapping up all game, which is, and by the time that you would make those adjustments, they were already down on the scoreboard because of those best opportunities and those mistakes um, that we mentioned with the holding penalty and the. Uh, you know, the offsides and the field goal. So maybe they felt like, you know, screens running the ball, you know, maybe we can't afford to do that at this juncture. But yes, I do agree with you. Those those type of plays do uh do make sense. Would make sense. And then can we I feel like we almost have to talk about how Mahomes went Superman parallel to the ground, sidearm, and it hit the guy in the face mask. That yeah. I feel like that's almost a joke. How that is, if that's completed, it'll be forgotten most likely because I think they would have lost anyway at that point in the game. But that's probably the greatest throw ever. If that, and you know, and it was right on the money. You know, maybe it's po- it was into traffic, and it's possible that uh, one of the defenders got a finger on it. But it hit the guy right in the face mask. When the ball hits him right in the face mask. I expect you to catch it. I expect you to catch it if it's coming right at your face. And yet, Mahomes did that again, parallel to the ground, sidearm into traffic, and it hit the guy in the face. Yeah, that was a, no- that, that was absurd. That may have been the greatest throw I've ever seen. Like that, I I can't not I can't put in the words how difficult that must have been. And it just it really just pained me to see that. Uh, go for an incompletion, but I mean, and that was the dagger. That was pretty much you know it was thirty one to nine, but you were thinking, well, if they score here and it's thirty one sixteen, it's a two possession game, and we know Mahomes can score quickly, so maybe they would still have an outside shot. That was the dagger. That was the dagger. It was and that plays also fourth down. So once you, you know, once that ball falls incomplete, it's fourth down to turnover on downs. Bucks can 
run out some more clock. It's still, you know, it's still, what, a three-scored game at that point. So, I mean, that, that, that's, that drop sealed the deal for Tampa. So, really, three big drops. The penalty. The penalty uh, that negated the interception and then the offside penalties. Those plays, I mean, Tampa outplayed them, they outcoached them, no doubt. But there were plays to be made by Kansas City to at least keep themselves in, in the game late. And they weren't extremely tough plays. I mean, the throw by Mahomes was unreal. But he completed the tough part. The easy part was what ended up, uh, was, you know, pretty much ended the game for the Chiefs. So Chiefs just left a lot of plays out there that could have been made that we've seen made from that offense. And, you know, that that ultimately was, you know, a big reason why it was <laughs> the the Bucks could have started celebrating uh, a lot earlier than maybe a lot of people expected. So we t- that was a lot of Chiefs talk. Now let's talk about the Buccaneers, Tom Brady getting his 7th Super Bowl title. It's truly incredible what he's doing, bringing that winning mentality. And why not? Why not go for number eight now? Who's gonna? Um, NFC is stacked, but I mean, what Bucks have to be the heavy favorites in the NFC, right? I think they have to be. I mean, uh, this defense and the evolution of it. Uh, first of all, Todd Bowles did a tremendous job with everything. You know. I think if there was still a, a, a head coaching vacancy, Todd Bowles should be the guy to fill it. In the regular season, I said Todd Bowles should be getting at least a few interviews. And with the se- if you told me there were seven head coaching job openings, I probably would have thought he'd get, he'd get one. Yeah, for sure. And he did a fantastic job. He, you know, he played I, the zone. Yeah, I, just want, I just want to say yeah, one sorry. thing. I would not be surprised if there's a succession plan in place for potentially him to overtake Bruce Arians if Arians were to retire within the next two to three years. That you know that could definitely be in place, but I think next year you know he'll he'll be hired. Like I, you know that, that's fair, but also Tampa with the talent that they have can be a more attractive head coaching job than maybe your typical. Then maybe your typical one that comes that'll be available next year. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. But I just think he did a great job, you know, having the faith in his guys, you know, get pressure with four. That zone, you know, that cover two zone that they ran a lot was effective. They made sure that, you know, Tyreek Hill was contained. I just thought he did a great job having his guys, putting them in the best position to succeed and kind of, you know, I think we talked about this a lot of like a lot of what I just said, we talked about in our uh, in our Super Bowl preview podcast, but he put gave them that recipe to succeed, and and it, and it worked to perfection. And that's what good coaching is: putting your players in the best possible position to succeed. It helps when you might have the best front seven in the NFL. I mean, Peter Paul and Peter Paul and Shaquille Barrett are two of the best pass rushers. Vita Vea and Adam Kinsu are two of the best even to tackle duo, and I think it's pretty safe to say that Levante David. He's a free agent, so we'll see if he does stay. But uh, David and White are the best linebacker duo in the NF in the NFL, and I think we could say Devin White is the best linebacker, inside linebacker in the NFL. I, I'm I'm ready to say that. I was on the fence, but after a Super Bowl performance where I think he could have won Super Bowl MVP, I'm 
I'm ready to say Devin White's probably overtaking guys like Bobby Wagner to to you know get the crown of best inside linebacker in this in our league. Yeah, I think I would I would agree with you. I think their front seven is phenomenal, and you know their secondary, which is really a point that I was kind of harping on to start of the season, which is you know I obviously didn't think their front seven would be this good, but I thought their secondary would really be an Achilles heel, and one of the reasons I didn't think you know I had them as a fringe playoff team, Alex, but um. They, you know, they played, they developed the development of those guys, of Carlton Davids, of Jamel Dean, those guys who, been, who we scrutinized earlier coming into the playoffs. And then, Sean Murphy, I think Sean Murphy Bunting had the best, uh, I think he had the best postseason out of all of them, maybe even including Antoine Winfield. Of the, you know, Winfield did miss the NFC Championship game. Sean Murphy Bunting was a rock star for Tampa in their postseason run. I think I think yeah he plays physical and he yeah the development of those guys was crucial and I don't see any reason why they won't you know be they should be the heavy favorite with Tom Brady really solidifying himself if he wasn't already the greatest NFL player goat of all time really just tremendous I I he's got to be on the same level as as like, I'm going to ask you is he on the same level as a guy like Michael Jordan, like we're going into different sports, but no, obviously I did not see Michael Jordan play, so you know it's tough to make that type of uh, judgment call. But I would say yes, just because he. I know Tampa is extremely talented. You know, before even with Jameis Winston, I know they went seven to nine. But if they had a quarterback, if if Winston throws fifteen interceptions or even twenty, which is still a lot, I feel like Tampa is a playoff team. But knowing that he did it with two different teams, two different schemes, two different coaches, it's you know just something that you know it's very tough to see. Obviously, Peyton did it, but you know when Peyton won, it was a lot of the defense that. And Tampa, obviously, their defense played a big part, but you know Brady was still crisp as ever throughout the season. So I would say yes, uh, he's done it now in two different places. He's done it with entirely different teams. He's done it over a dominant 20-year stretch where even with the Patriots, there weren't really many constants throughout his Super Bowl runs. So, again, it's t- I didn't see MJ play, so it's very tough to make that type of call. But I would probably go out and say yes. I think it's a very, you know, I'm not even sure where I would stand on that. Um, I obviously didn't see him, you know, play much either. But... Uh, Two, two, two goats for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think this was a, a fantastic, you know, overall team win. The leadership of Brady, the leadership of Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles, and I think you know we talked a lot about the Chiefs, and I feel like we're not we're not doing Tampa justice, but they really just did everything. I feel like to to the I don't want to say to perfection, but to an extremely extremely high level. Yeah, Chiefs committed eight penalties for 95 yards in the first half. I think Bucks had, what, three for 15 or something of that nature. I mean, Tam- Tampa played flawless football, and the Chiefs, I mean, they were making mistakes all over the place, which we typically don't see. But those mistakes, we know Brady, Brady's going to make them hurt, and Brady and the Bucks, they sure did throughout the game. So, Shy, the Bucks have three big free agents now. Godwin, Shaq Parrott, and Levante David. If you're Jason Light and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you have a lot of cap space. But let's say you can only sign one. Which one are you trying to lock up first to a long-term deal? 
That is so difficult. I'm going to say Shaq Barrett. That is who I'm going with. Um, pass rusher is the is a premier position. You that's an absolute necessity. Receiver Chris Godwin is young. He's a stud. He's a great player. But that's a more replaceable position. You still have Mike Evans there. You have the other weapons. I think you know A B could come back on an affordable contract relatively. I think he will. Gronk, Gronk and AB, I think, will come back on very affordable deals. So I don't think you have to worry about them. And I think also those deals will be more one- or two-year terms, so you're not dipping into your long-term cap space. I'm going to agree with you. I Barrett, he's not too – I don't think he's too old himself. I think, what, maybe late 20s? So he's – you know, he still has a lot of – a lot of years left in the tank, plus a bit of a late bloomer. So maybe you can add on a few years to the end of his of his career. Pass rusher, in my mind, is there's an argument to be made that's the second most valuable position next to quarterback. I might, you know, I was thinking that, but now maybe I'm starting to lean to blindside tackle is slightly more important. But in my opinion lowest is the third most valuable position you also look at jason pierre paul on the other side he just signed a two-year contract so there's only one year left on his deal you know will you be able to sign him now i do think you would be able to sign pierre paul but getting a dominant pass rusher duo is so rare in the nfl and we you know we've seen you know you can win with that type you can win with that type of philosophy the giants did it the seahawks did it the broncos did it and then I guess going to Levante David, Devin White is, uh, I think he's turning 23 this week, so a bit of an early birthday present for him. But Devin White, has, as I said, is the best linebacker, mid-linebacker in the NFL. So I think you can withstand the loss of a Levante David. And I think that is a little similar to receiver where it's not the most valuable position. It's still a decently valuable position, but it's not the most valuable position. And you have another guy there that is dominant and at the top of his position. Evans at receiver, White at linebacker. So you obviously, you want to sign everyone. You want to bring everyone back. But of those top three guys, we're, we both uh, agree that if we can only sign one, we can only bring one back long term, we're both going with Shaquille Barrett, the pass rusher for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, Shy, I guess now... As we kind of start wrapping up the podcast, is there anything, not just on the Super Bowl, but the postseason, the season, that, you know, obviously was kind of up and down, but obviously a huge bright spot that we got through it. It was a successful season, no postponed games. We both have congratulate the NFL and think they've done a very good job through everything. And, any last thoughts as now we head into free agency, trade season? What are kind of your final words on this 2020-2021 NFL season? Yeah, I mean, usually around this time, I'm usually pretty bitter because, you know, the Steelers, you know, didn't make the playoffs. They had an early first round, you know, whatever. But this year, I'm just, I feel... And obviously, the Steelers exiting the way they did, you know, I have every right to feel not very good. But, I mean, you got blown out. It's not like you were winning, winning, and then 
you know, okay. you suffer this terrible, heartbreaking loss. I mean, you just got beat up, so. It was a quick and, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> quick demise. But my, what I was going to say is, despite that, I'm feeling really, really good about how the season went. I'm feeling fulfilled. I'm feeling satisfied. I feel like it's one of the best seasons I've ever, I've ever witnessed. And, you know... I mean, take it, you know, apart from the pack that when the Steelers won the Super Bowl when I was fairly young. Um, but still, one of the, the one of the better seasons because I just really love how the NFL handled everything. Congratulations, you know, on that. And I just think it was just a, 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 a lot of competitive football. I think both the AFC and the NFC was exciting throughout. I think the addition of the seventh playoff team, although you, you know, really didn't like it at first. I remember we were talking about it last year. I was skeptical. I was skeptical. Very skeptical. Yeah, but I think that was great. I just think it was an extremely exciting season. And, you know, I didn't say this before, but I, I meant to. Congratulations to the Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady, all those, you know, the, the Glazer family, Everyone in that organization on a, on a really a tremendous uh, season. Jason Light has now won, has now been there for Brady's first Super Bowl and now his seventh Super Bowl, which is truly amazing and spectacular. So good for that entire organization, and there's not much else to add. You know, good for the NFL, and I guess hey, we have one more game for each team next year, as there should be seventeen game a seventeen game season for the 2021. 2022 season and hopefully beyond so shy i just kind of a last question who gets kind of your game ball for the super bowl and i guess for the podcast say please don't pick tom brady don't pick the obvious i mean i look you, you can pick tom brady i just think don't don't pick the obvious if i was being honest with you i'd pick tom brady because of the remarkable feet and leadership on and off the field. If I was picking, you know, just putting that aside, right? Picking not, you know, from the obvious, I think is really quite difficult. I'm giving it, can I, do I have to give it to a player? You can give it to a coach. I'm Todd giving Bowles, it to Todd I Bowles. I, I think it's un, uh, unquestionable. I think if you, I think arguably if a Super Bowl MVP could go to a coach, it'd be the Todd Bowles. And I and I mentioned all the reasons why, but I just think he did a tremendous job. Yeah, Bowles. I think Bowles is obviously up there. Devin White. But I'm going to a guy who I just feel like has not been talked about enough throughout this kind of post-Super Bowl week, and that's Carlton Davis. I mean, he, he got burned, embarrassed, exposed, whatever word you want to use when they faced the Chiefs back in, what, November? around. I think it was like November I mean, the Chiefs targeted him. They went after him. He he's a very talented cornerback, but you know he's he's shown some raw ability where he'll have some great moments and he'll have some dreadful moments. But he had an incredible game. He had maybe probably the best game of his career, and is is a bright spot probably for that team heading into the twenty twenty one twenty two season so i'm giving i guess a game ball to carlton davis just of what he did against those great speedsters of the kansas city chiefs he did well way more than just than just kind of hold his own so i'm i'm giving it to carlton davis i I don't want to pick the obvious no i i think that's fair the reason i i wouldn't have picked a guy like him is because the 
it felt like, you know, the Bucks put a ton of zone, which, you know, that makes sense, right? They That's the best, that's the thing to do against the Chiefs. I just, I feel like Carlton Davis was put in a better position to succeed, but, you know, he wasn't exactly matching, you know, one-on-one, you know, with Tyree Hill every play, if you know what I'm saying. But, yeah, I think the improvement is certainly there. If he struggles in zone, they're still going to target him and Tyree Hill and then just sit right in front of him and just... You know, it'll be rep after rep after rep like that. So I think that's that. That's a valid man. point. That's a it might not be point. man, but zone. You still you still have to hold your own to to be a successful defense. So I mean, what's scary about this Bucks team is they don't have. I mean, could they improve their cornerback room? Sure, but this Bucks team is just so well rounded. One of the more well rounded teams in the NFL. And as I said, you know, Brady obviously done an incredible job. But let's not act like this was a terrible under 500 team. This was one of the more talented under 500 teams. They just previously had a quarterback who would throw it to the other team just as much as his team. So that's going to do it on this edition of NFL Game Time Podcast, our post-Super Bowl edition. What an NFL season it has been. We made it. So much to reflect on. But obviously, with trades and cuts already coming down and being reported, we, we're going to start looking forward to this exciting offseason ahead, an offseason where we could see moves, especially at the quarterback position, like we've never seen them before. So that's going to do it for your host, Shai Dweck. I'm Alex Rubinson. We'll see you next time on NFL Game Time Podcast. <laughs>